This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where FSU students who made a mockery of social distancing when they came back for the fall semester are finding out their football coach has COVID-19. Party on, Seminoles. The state health department reports 2,500 new cases of coronavirus. That's a total of almost 684,000 infections since the start of the pandemic. The state also reported nine more fatalities from COVID-19, raising the death toll to 13,459. The governor rarely mentions COVID casualties. He'd rather talk about non-human metrics like positivity rates and emergency department admissions. And Ron DeSantis says there has been no surge or spike in cases since the reopening of schools. The result has been very little secondary transmission. I think the K through 12 has gone gone well. We have over 1.1 million kids in person. It's been a week since bars were allowed to reopen, and the governor says there's no sign of trouble there either. COVID crippled the state economy, creating the largest job loss in Florida history, but the market is rebounding. The jobless rate in August was 7.4 percent. That is four points lower than July. Right now we see rapid gains in job growth, and we see the unemployment rate dropping um, pretty dramatically over the month, um, but th I wouldn't put uh, too much into a, a one or two month trend. It's going to take us a little bit of time before we, we really know the shape of this recovery. We'll take a deep dive into the unemployment numbers on Sunrise in Depth. Residents of Northwest Florida continue the cleanup from Hurricane Sally, and the damage estimates are starting to roll in, including losses in the agriculture industry. Between our peanut and our cotton farmers, um, it's going to be, you know, 70% plus of, of devastation onto the land. The governor travels to Wikiwachi to talk about restoring Florida Springs, and since he brought the kids, he had to schedule a side trip. So we're excited about it. Yes, we can go, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> she saw the uh, twisty treat ice cream on the way, and so we're not going to be able to get out of here without doing that. We'll also have your calendar of political events and check in with two Florida men. One is promising to kick people out of his bar if they wear a face mask. The other is accused of assaulting a 13-year-old girl with a flagpole holding a Trump banner. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, September 21st. This is the UN's International Day of Peace to recognize efforts of those who work to end conflict and promote peace. The International Day of Peace is also supposed to be a day of ceasefire, both personal and professional. Good luck with that in 2020, my friends. On Sunday, Florida's COVID-19 death toll rose to 13,459 as the names of nine more Floridians were added to the list. 683,754 people have been infected statewide. That makes Florida third in the nation for COVID cases, trailing only California and Texas in that order. Florida State football coach Mike Norvell has tested positive for the coronavirus and is isolating himself, leaving his deputy Chris Thompson to take over as interim head coach. FSU issued a statement from Norvell Saturday saying he tested positive during the team's most recent round of checks on Friday, but he's feeling fine apparently. His wife and daughter were tested Saturday, received negative results, but they're also quarantining. Florida State is off this week and travels to play Miami next Saturday. Coach Norvell will not be traveling to Miami. After starting the school year virtually, kids are back in the classroom today in Palm Beach County. Parents have the choice of staying virtual or sending them back to the classroom. Students returning to campus will have to adhere to CDC guidelines, including social distancing and face coverings. Some schools have been open for a month now, and Governor Ron DeSantis says there has not been a spike in cases as many had feared. You know, I've asked the Commissioner of Education to work with the, the health about providing some of the analysis on what's happened with schools, because I think the result has been very little secondary transmission. Um, and I think that that'd be good information for people to have. So I know they're working on getting that data 
um, and putting it out. But I think by and large, um, I think the K through 12 has gone gone well. We have over 1.1 million kids in person. That obviously is going to increase significantly with uh, Dade and Broward coming online probably sometime the end of this month, beginning of October. Uh, Palm Beach is is starting up, um, I believe, on Monday. So so that'll be really really good. You know, it's important to give parents this option uh, to have the in-person schooling. And I look around uh, the world and our country and the places that have done it, um, you know, they've done it. And um, fortunately, this is not a disease uh, that targets the young. It tends to target the old. Um, it doesn't mean that there's 0.00, but it, but the risk is low, uh, lower than seasonal influenza. So that's something that you know, we've got to have that option. Now, not all parents have chosen that, and that's totally fine. And I think it's just important for kids to be able to be there, learn, uh, be there with other kids. And so providing that option was something we really wanted to do. We're glad we were able to do it, and we think it was the right thing to do. It's been a week now since the governor allowed bars and brew houses to reopen, and the gov says that, too, is going well. I have not heard any any major reports. Um, you know, we did have bars, you know, open who a lot of them just switched to serving some food. So that had been open the whole time when they did that. Some of the other ones just didn't do it. Uh, so then they're going to start to do it. Uh, but I think uh, I think they're going to I think they're going to do well. Uh, but I think people uh, look. People have a right to work and earn a living, and I think we've got to. You can't just say no. And I know there were some compliance problems, but I told the secretary of DVPR, you know, we got to get to yes. If someone's a big offender, then we'll deal with that individually. But I want them to be able to um, uh, uh, to be in business. Getting bars back in business will be a boost to the economy, not to mention all the bartenders who saw their jobs disappear during the crisis. Other jobs are also coming back. Adrian Johnson at the Department of Economic Opportunities says Florida's unemployment rate dropped by four percentage points in August. Florida's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate in August 2020 was 7.4%. This represented 753,000 jobless individuals out of a labor force of 10,138,000. Florida's August 2020 unemployment rate was down four percentage points from the revised July 2020 rate and up 4.4 percentage points from August 2019. In August 2020, Osceola County had the highest unemployment rate with 15.1%, followed by Orange County with 11.6%. Lafayette County had the state's lowest unemployment rate of 3.4%, followed by Liberty County with 4.1%. Eight out of 10 major industry sectors in Florida gained jobs over the month. Education and health services gained 21,400 jobs over the month, and this was driven by 10,900 jobs gained in healthcare and social assistance and 10,500 jobs gained in educational services. Government added 11,900 jobs over the month, and professional and business services added 9,600 jobs over the month. The industries that lost jobs over the month were construction, which lost 2,200 jobs, and information, which lost 1,400 jobs. 21 of the 24 metro areas in Florida had an over-the-month job gain. The Jacksonville metro area gained the most jobs with 6,600. Homosassa Springs grew the fastest with a rate of 1.9%. Other metro areas gaining jobs over the month were Tampa, St. Petersburg, Clearwater with 4,400 jobs and Cape Coral, Fort Myers with 3,900 jobs. And Johnson expects more good news when the numbers are released for September employment. So I always shy away from 
uh, too many predictions, but I, I will point out a couple of things to be mindful of when you think about the employment numbers and what we can expect from the, the months in the future. So one thing to be aware of is that during the month of August, uh, we, have start, we have seen um, businesses continue to open. Mitigation efforts um, have um, continued uh, to um, relax and allow businesses to open. And we've also seen schools go um, going back in, and that's going to impact people's ability to go back to work. So those are some of the things to keep in mind as we look uh, to the future of for August and September data, uh, which will be released um, in October. The unemployment reports are chock full of stats, and most of us tend to focus on the obvious, like the overall rate and the number of unemployed. But Johnson says there are other measures that give you a much better feel for where the state is headed. The biggest significance, I think, in that is the labor force growing at the same time. Um, That's really key. That's what I look at when I'm looking at unemployment rate trends is what is the labor force doing? So that that's telling us that people are going, they're finding jobs, they're going back to work. Um, It may not be the same job. It may be the same job. They may be finding one job where they had two. Um, So there are a couple things there just to be mindful of when you look at these trends. But the key is that people are getting back into the labor market and they're finding those employment opportunities. So um, that's a positive sign. That's exactly what we hope to see. And it's also uh, in line with what uh, the rest of the country is experiencing, um, although we are at a lower rate at this point. The decline in the unemployment rate was welcome news for the governor, whose administration has struggled to keep up with all the unemployment claims that were filed during the pandemic. Uh, Florida's uh, unemployment rate was uh, dropped 35 percent from where it was um, after the end of July. Uh, we still got a ways to go, but uh, 7.4% uh, was much better. Uh, the softness uh, clearly still in Central Florida just because uh, of the tourism. Now, the theme parks are open. People are doing stuff. The convention business isn't, isn't what it was. Um, and I think that the, the traffic uh, into Central Florida internationally is obviously not what it was. Um, so that's something that, that we're going to work. We want that to come back. Um, and then Southern Florida, um, I think, stopped. I think that's probably more related you know, to some of the local uh, uh, business rules uh, that, that have done. And I think, you know, we really need to, you know, get them moving again going forward. But uh, all in all, I think we've, um, you know, we've kept things going. Uh, the state, everyone, there's no state restriction on anybody going to work or anything. Uh, we want people to be able to be successful, earn a living, have their business be, be successful. And we're going to continue working with everybody uh, to get us back uh, to where we need to be. Next up on Sunrise, Ron DeSantis and the Big Check. But first, a message from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. Predict It is like the stock market for all things politics. Instead of trading stock in companies, you're investing money into your opinions on everything from election results to how many times President Trump will tweet this week. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our podcast listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Try it today. Welcome back to Sunrise, where the governor travels to Wikiwachi with props, including the big check. It's completely worthless, of course, but it's one of those standard grip and grin pictures that politicians love. It's their way of proving they delivered on a promise. In this case, $3.7 million to upgrade a sewage treatment plant. But the real beneficiaries are the springs and the mermaids of Wikiwachi, Florida's original tourist trap. The springs of Florida are a huge part 
uh, of what makes Florida, Florida. It's an iconic part of our natural resources. We have more large springs than any other state in the country, including Wikiwachi and other nationally known springs like Silver Springs, Rainbow Springs, and Wakulla Springs. Uh, we probably have more total springs than any other uh, state in the country. Uh, one of our top priorities uh, in our administration has been to improve water quality in Florida, and there's no way you can do that uh, effectively without also devoting resources to springs restoration. And so uh, today, I'm happy to announce that uh, we are in the process of finishing an unprecedented two-year investment of $150 million in Florida Springs. We did $100 million last year and an additional $50 million this year. We've obligated all $50 million dedicated to Springs projects for the year. And we're happy today to be able uh, to cut the first check of $3.7 million right here to Wikiwachi. Uh, the $3.7 million will go, will go toward enhancements at the Hernando County Glen Regional Wastewater Treatment Plant to achieve the state's advanced wastewater treatment standards reducing the amount of nutrients that could negatively impact the spring. We have 46.3 additional million dollars uh, to fund 20 additional spring projects ranging from land acquisition to septic to sewer conversion to enhance water quality monitoring and additional restoration efforts that will improve the quality of life throughout Florida. DeSantis had to make a lot of cuts in the new state budget because of the revenue shortfall created by the COVID slowdown, but the governor says they kept all the money for the springs. The cleanup continues in the panhandle after Hurricane Sally flooded northwest Florida. State Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed traveled to Escambia County Sunday to check out the damage suffered by farmers. The purpose of today was, one, to make, you know, come out here and see firsthand some of the devastation uh, that was happening in Pensacola, uh, but also to spend some time with our local farmers up here uh, and to hear exactly what has happened to them and what they may need from the department. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, we have some pretty heavy devastation in the northern part of Escambia County between our peanut and our cotton farmers. Um, it's going to be, you know, 70% plus of, of devastation onto the land. It's kind of surprising anything's left after all those floods. Well, and, th and that's the exact issue. Uh, that not only was the flooding and it is now all of the cotton and the peanuts are sitting in the water, but also when the wind came through, it um, basically laid down all of the cotton harvest. Uh, so almost impossible for any of their equipment to get through the rows and be able to pick the cotton. And of course, it's continuing to rain, uh, and so they haven't been able to even dry up a little bit. And so they're not getting a break from not Mother Nature. Is this something that might be covered by federal disaster aid? You know, that that's certainly something that we're going to, as a state, have to look uh, towards to advocate for a federal disaster package. Um, but we may need to do something in the interim, whether it's a, a bridge loan program. Uh, some of these farmers have been really hit hard. Uh, some of the remnants of, of Hurricane Michael drought for the last couple of years. Of course, tariffs and the unfair trade practices from, uh, from NASA. Uh, now USMCA has really put a, a, a very bad uh, position for a lot of these farmers uh, that are just making ends meet and would have just made ends meet with this harvest that they've now lost. Today, Commissioner Freed is holding what she calls an online Florida cupboard meeting to discuss issues she believes should be on the agenda of tomorrow's state cabinet meeting. She's doing this because the governor has denied her request to put COVID-19 on the cabinet agenda. We've got a cabinet meeting coming up on Tuesday. You must be all excited for that, right? Uh, you know, I, I'm definitely excited uh, about the fact that the cabinet will be for the first time since February uh, coming together uh, in person. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, 
there is no mention of COVID on the agenda and all of the issues that I had requested to be placed onto the agenda were left off. So I presume you'll try to find some way to bring it up though, right? Well, and that's also why we're doing um, our People's Cabinet on Monday to be able to bring forth some of those issues I would have liked to have discussed with the full cabinet, but at least give an opportunity for the public to hear uh, some of the things that are happening in our state. Freed's alternative cabinet meeting starts at 10. Trustees at Florida Atlantic University are holding a retreat in Fort Pierce at the Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute. Starts at 10. At 12.30, Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed and Tallahassee Mayor John Daly hold a news conference to talk about National Clean Energy Week. Equus Labs and People for the American Way are holding a media call at 1 to release Latino vote simulations for Florida, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, and North Carolina, key states in the election. The Seminole State College Board of Trustees holds an online meeting at 2. The Florida Chamber of Commerce holds a monthly call with business leaders at 2. Tallahassee Community College trustees meet online at 2.30. At 3, the Board of the Suwannee River Water Management District holds an online workshop and committee meetings before a final hearing on their budget. And at 7, State Representative Margaret Good of Sarasota, who is challenging Congressman Vern Buchanan, will hold an online event to discuss money in politics. Enough with the calendar. It's on to the fun stuff. A Florida man who runs a bar in West Melbourne is prohibiting his patrons from wearing a protective mask because they're, quote, hindering our lifestyle as we know it. Gary Kirby, who owns the Westside Sports Bar and Lounge, says a doorman greets guests out front, takes their temperatures before they can enter. Once inside, any customer who dons a mask will be asked to remove it. If they refuse, they'll be thrown out. Kirby says he's been getting death threats, but he claims people in his town have been supportive. Kirby also claims the bar was burglarized by a man in a surgical mask back in August. However, police think it was an inside job. They say Kirby has not cooperated and now refuses to meet with detectives. Finally today, a Florida man is facing a felony child abuse charge after deputies say he hit a 13-year-old girl in the face with a flagpole during a demonstration in Orange Park. 67-year-old Norbert Logsdon of Clay County is waving a Trump flag as cell phone video provided by the child's mother appears to show him shoving the flagpole into their moving car and the girl screaming. The arrest report says Crystal Ledoux's daughter was struck in the face and chest. Ledoux says the guy attacked after she and her daughter both flipped him off and the girl yelled, Joe Biden 2020. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.